Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. All righty. Well, it's been a few weeks since I've uh, been able to be here. A couple weeks ago, Megan and I were asked to come down to the Washington, D.C. area where uh, a buddy wanted Megan to present on, on what she's doing with the Solomon Foundation and also kind of celebrate because they're getting ready to open a new building and all that kind of stuff. So we were, we were down there during uh, Valentine's Day weekend, and, and for you Browns fans, something called Super Bowl weekend. See, this Super Bowl is what happens when you win like a division champion, and then you go, and it's the final game of the year. I know you guys have never participated, but trust me, even when you lose, it's fun. Um, not bragging or anything. Well, we are continuing on with Proverbs, and we're going to be in Proverbs 13. And in Proverbs 13, you get Solomon telling his child what it takes to grow up and be wise and godly. What does that look like? What disciplines are involved? And they are our disciplines. What does it take to be a man in God's eyes? Now, when I was a young atheist hoodlum, the kind of man that I wanted to be was I wanted to have a kind of toughness of John Wayne. I wanted to be ripped like Stallone and Rambo. And I wanted to have the poise and the voice of Sidney Portier, who we recently lost. Now, when Sidney Portier died at the age of 93 here, you know, three or four weeks ago, you know, there's all kinds of tributes to him, rightfully so. He's an amazing actor. You know, nobody enunciated like Sidney Portier. Like, I remember the very first movie that I ever saw with him in it was In the Heat of the Night. How many people have seen that movie? Yeah. And that moment in that movie when he looks at the racist cops and go, you know, what do they call you in Philadelphia? And he goes, they call me Mr. Tibbs. And this just chill runs up your spine. And I always assume because that kind of projection, that kind of voice, that kind of poise, I always figured he was raised by like two Shakespearean scholars, you know, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and, and that he'd, you know, probably gone to Juilliard or something like that. No, Sidney Poitier was born in Jamaica, and when he was about 18 years old, he was working as a busboy. He made it to America, and he was working at a, as a busboy. <clears throat> and there was a Jewish man sitting there and was reading the paper and said, can you believe that? And showed him the headline, and Sidney Poitier had to tell him, sir, I can't read. He was illiterate. And this Jewish man sat Sidney Poitier down every day, taught him the alphabet, and slowly taught him to read, encouraged him with his looks and his voice to maybe go into acting. He went into his first acting class and there became a lifelong friend with a guy by the name of Walter Matthau, believe it or not. He slept in Walter Matthau's. He was sleep sleeping in the subway. 
and then he ended up sleeping on Walter Matthau's couch. Now, that's a true odd couple, isn't it? But that's what I wanted to be, um, and I, I'm not saying that any of those things are necessarily bad, but in Scripture's view, it's not the priority. Now, I, I get um, Sean Penn, who's an actor I usually don't care for what he says, uh, got in trouble lately because he said that in our culture today, we are feminizing young men. Now, I actually agree with that. Um, I, I think he's right. Pop culture today is just dripping with estrogen. And it, it just drives me crazy. All you have to do is watch your average sitcom. They don't make many sitcoms anymore, but when they do, who is always the smart one? The husband or the wife? Yeah, the husband's always the idiot, right? That's just the way it is. And we, we do this, and we, we, we're kind of, even in a way, pop culture's kind of even undermining parenthood. Like if you watch cartoons like I used to when Jackson was, was little, I'd watch cartoons with him, and, and, you know, the dad was always stupid, but the dog, the dog was a genius. It's just all mixed up. So let's see what God has to say. Proverbs 13 1 through 25. A wise child accepts a parent's discipline. A mocker refuses to listen to correction. Now, people read this all the time, just like spare the rod, spoil the child, and they think that that's advocating, you know, spanking or something like that. It's not. The rod is actually a shepherd's rod, a guiding rod. Now, I'm not saying I have anything against spanking necessarily, but two things you need to keep in mind. One, all children are created different. Um, I remember the first time Jackson, when he was little, got really angry with me and would refuse to do something. And I gave him a whap on the butt, and he just looked at me like, is that all you got? He was just like, I got thick butt skin and all day, pal. Didn't work. But, Jackson, if you don't pick up your toys and go brush your teeth like you were told to, no video games or TV tomorrow. Oh, Dad, Father, please. I will do anything. It's knowing which buttons to push with which kid. I mean, it's just, that's just how it works. The other thing is this. Even if you do decide that spanking is an option, James Dobson, of all people, James Dobson, very, very, very conservative. James Dobson tells parents, never, ever, ever spank or discipline a child while angry. Go sit him down, cool off, and then calmly explain to them why they're being disciplined, how this is going to go down, all that kind of stuff. And they're more likely to listen. Two, wise words will win you a good meal, but treacherous people have an appetite for violence. I'm going to come back and talk about this a bit, because... Even though I think that our culture has gone too far um, in the estrogen way, I do think that there was a time when there was a little too much testosterone in the mix as well. Because based upon the movies I watched in the 80s, if you were a real man, um, you could mow down 50 commies with an AK-47 like Rambo 
without ever getting shot or missing. You ever notice that? Rambo never missed, never got hit, which is the opposite of Rocky. If you've ever watched a real boxing match, none of the boxers miss in Rocky. They just wallop each other constantly. And it's like, oh, please, your brains will be coming out through your nose by the end of the first round. But violence is not. I'm going to talk about the difference here in a minute between bravery and violence, and there is a difference. Three, those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. That's a subtle way of saying you should listen more and talk less. We'll talk more about that in a second, ironically. Lazy people want much, but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. This is something else we need to teach our kids, and we've done a really poor job. I'm not trying to pick on millennials, because my wife is a millennial, and she's a hard worker. But there's so much entitlement out there right now. And I was even listening this week to a podcaster that, that I respect. And he has one of the largest podcasts in the world, He's a very popular author and stand-up comic. And he says he has people come up to him all the time, 18, 19-year-old young guys. All right, how do I do what you do within a year? And he's like, it took me 25 years to do this. But nobody wants to do that. But that's what it takes when I practiced law. My partners were working 30 hours a week. And as one of them said, Matt, I pay more in taxes than I pay you. And I'm like, but I'm working here 80 hours a week. And he's like, yeah, I did too for 10 years. And then for five years, I worked 60 hours a week and so forth and so on. It takes time. The godly hate lies. The wicked cause shame and disgrace. Godliness guards the path of the blameless, but the evil are misled by sin. Some who are poor pretend to be rich. Others who are rich pretend to be poor. Well, the rich can pay a ransom for their lives. The poor won't even get threatened. Life of the godly is full of light and joy, but the light of the wicked will be snuffed out. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. People who despise advice are asking for trouble. Those who respect command will succeed. Do you notice the emphasis on listening? The instruction of the wise is like life-giving fountain. Those who accept it avoid the snares of death. A person with good sense is respected. A treacherous person is headed for destruction. Wise people think before they act. Fools don't and even brag about their foolishness. I guess that's why God created TikTok. An unreliable messenger stumbles into trouble, but a reliable messenger brings healing. If you ignore criticism, there it is again, you end in poverty and disgrace. But if you accept correction, you will be honored. It is pleasant to see dreams come true, but fools refuse to turn from evil to get them. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools, get in trouble. Trouble chases sinners while blessings reward the righteous. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. A poor person's farm may produce much food, but injustice sweeps it all away. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. 
The godly eat to their heart's content, but to the belly of the wicked goes hungry. Now, there's a lot there, and you can unpack almost every one of those lines and preach an entire sermon on it. But here's what I broke down, and it should be in your bulletin. What is Solomon, the second wisest person who ever lived, what is he saying a godly man should work at? And it is work. You are not born with this. There are certain gifts that people are born with. I get that. But there are others that everyone, everyone has to work at. So, for example, if you are born without rhythm, you can try to play the drums 40 hours a week, you're not going to make it. If you have no hand-eye coordination, no matter how hard you work, you will not be a shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds. However, it is possible to work, to be disciplined, and become more righteous, a better father, a better husband, better son, daughter, friend. That can, anybody can do, and everybody needs to work on that. Everybody. Number one, we talked about a lot. Listen. Now, that sounds so simple. But I want you to think about this for a second, the importance of listening, especially in our culture. We live in a culture that is saturated with narcissism. Narcissism is an unhealthy obsession with self. You're always thinking about yourself. How do others view me? Do they not know how important I am? The reason why I get so much road rage is so many people, when they drive, act like they're the only one on the road. You're you're in a 5,000-pound death machine hurtling down the road at 70 miles an hour, and at least once a week, somebody veers over into my lane with a phone up to their face while driving. That's a byproduct of narcissism. You don't care about anybody else. It's all about me. Narcissists don't listen. Narcissists wait to talk. Ever met anyone like that? They're looking over your head. They're just waiting for you to shut up so they can spill their wisdom, to which they expect you to be eternally grateful. That's a narcissist. And, and social media has just, look, there are pros and cons of social media. I'm glad the church has a closed Facebook group. If you're not on it, let me know. I'll put you on because we can do announcements that way about weather. If we've got inclement weather coming or having problems at the church, like one morning, you know, Sean showed up, no power. That was a problem. Thankfully, it came back on, but that's something you may want to know about, and it'll pop up on your Facebook page and prayer requests and so forth. Those are all good things. But the other side of social media is that it just feeds narcissism. Now, for those of you of a certain age, you may remember there was a day before social media. There was a day before Internet. And I want to take you back to that day just for a minute, and I want you to think about this. Let's say it's the 1990s sometime. 
and you walk out of wherever you're living, and you look next door, and your neighbor, well, I best better ask this first. How many of you remember Polaroid cameras? You remember those? You, you know, you'd shoot, and then the thing would come out, and then for some reason we'd all do this with it. Though I've read stories that say actually that does nothing. It just makes people feel better and not get impatient, and that's why they put it on the package. But it does nothing to make it come quicker. It just makes you feel better, just like pushing an elevator button six times. Um, if you walked out wherever you were living, and you looked over, and you saw your neighbor with a Polaroid turned around towards himself going, you'd say, that's a crazy person. Today, we call that Instagram. We have traded insanity for Instagram. But that's, you know, that's the way it is. And, but listening helps cure that. And listening is a discipline. We all get distracted. We went, one of the things they taught us in preaching class and seminaries, you have to watch because sometimes you'll be preaching and you'll say something, and maybe it's something provocative, or maybe it's something confusing, and for the next two minutes you can look out and see 20 to 30 percent of your people going, they're not listening to what you're saying, they've been distracted by what you said earlier, and they're trying to think about it, and then they got to catch up. So I understand, it's, it's, it's very difficult, especially in our age, to focus. They actually, there used to be a guy, I don't know if he still does it, when I was in seminary, there was a guy who made a very good living teaching corporate leaders and nonprofit leaders and pastors to listen. He would teach them to look for certain words and phrases and so forth to indicate how that person is feeling. It's a discipline. And we don't listen in our culture, and it's become so toxic all the way from politics down to the street. I worked in, on Capitol Hill for two years. I worked in the U.S. House of Representatives for two years. Once upon a time on Capitol Hill, you'd have these speeches. And someone would get up and they would speak. And the other person would listen from the other side and get up and maybe agree or disagree on certain points and, and, and so forth. If you watch something called C-SPAN or something today, no one's listening to anybody. No one. They don't get up and respond to what somebody says. They've already got a pre-written speech that was written like three days ago by a speechwriter. They didn't even write it. And is it any wonder that our political system is so ruptured? Because we have a nation of leaders who don't listen, they just wait to talk. And that's where we're at. And so it has to start somewhere. Listening is a great cure to narcissism. Because to order to truly learn the discipline of listening, you have to focus on someone else and not yourself. I understand why we think about ourselves. We live with ourselves 24 hours a day. Kind of hard not to. But... It's the way it is. And those of you who have been married for more than, say, a week, you know that men, if you don't learn to listen, 
you will learn to be yelled at. Take your pick. But it's a godly trait. It is a discipline that takes time, and it takes work, and it takes focus, and it's strong medicine for what ills our society today. That's one. Two, godly men are not violent men. There is a difference between bravery and violence. And maybe it's this way everywhere, but I think in Appalachia we really mix this up. You know, we tend to hang on to this juvenile, junior high, high school thing where around here when I grew up, if you knew, if you, there was always one question that told you a fight was coming. What are you looking at? You knew it was coming. It's stupid. It's just stupid. And of course, I always always said something smart alecky that made a fight come quicker. But anyway, um, but godly men are not violent. They are brave, however, and there is a difference. There is a difference. Let me give you an example of bravery. Um, I listen to, as many of you know, I'm I'm a movie buff. I love Turner Classic movies, and my wife does too. I love to learn about old Hollywood and, and stuff like that. And I listen to one podcast that has a lot of people, they interview a lot of people that you'd go, oh yeah, that guy. Oh, that guy's still alive? A lot of people from the 60s, 70s, and so forth that were in Hollywood at that time. One of them was Sonny Fox. Sonny Fox, I didn't know that much about. I remembered in the 60s, he was a children's guy, like a Captain Kangaroo type in New York City. But I didn't really see much of him. In the 70s, though, he became a game show guy. Remember when game shows were really big? By the way, is anyone else as obsessed with Family Feud as I am? No? I'm alone. Some of you are lying. I go back watching the Family Feud of the 70s when I was a wee little kid and, and Richard Dawson hosted. Remember him? And he'd kiss everybody, which now is creepy. Now it's Steve Harvey. I was looking at, actually, this morning, I was thinking about tying this into listening, but I'll tie it into the game show thing instead. I, I um, <laughs> ran across a, a website the dumbest answers ever given on the family feud. Boy, there were a lot of them. They asked one, if see if I can remember the question correctly. The question was, you know, because if you've never seen the family feud, they survey like 100 people, and then you have to guess what answers they give. And so the question was, they surveyed like 100 women or 100 men or just 100 people, at what month does a woman's pregnancy start to show? He answered, September. <laughs> That's a guy who was not listening. <laughs> but Sonny Fox did a lot of game shows in the 70s along with Richard Dawson and Wink Martindale and all those guys. And so when I saw that he was being interviewed, I thought, oh, well, this would, be a, this would be a lighthearted hour interview that I can listen to. I drive back and forth. And, and I'm listening to it. Sonny Fox, this guy always has a smile on his face. And 
fought in World War II, and his platoon was captured by the Nazis at the Battle of the Bulge. And the Nazi commander, in broken English, told the platoon leader, divide your platoon into Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles get on that train, the Jews get on that train. And the platoon leader said, my men will not divide. He took his pistol, pointed it at his head. I said, all Jews get on that train. And the platoon leader said, sir, we are all Jews now. That is bravery. That is bravery. There's a difference between that and still wanting to be the guy in a wife beater asking, what are you looking at? There's a big difference. Number three, godly men are honest. Now, I'm not talking about that thing that you women do to your husbands that cause them to sin, which is, do I look fat in this? Only one husband has ever answered that truly. May he rest in peace. Don't ask that question. But real godly men are honest. Um, my father and I, we tend to, uh, what's good, butt heads. A lot. But I'll tell you something. There are a lot of, there are a lot of people in this town who, over the years, have been well-known, not necessarily church-going folks. And they will go to my dad for advice. And I have heard some of these people say, and I'm not trying to bag, I'm just telling you what they'd say. They almost all say the same thing. You know, I don't really like your dad, but I respect him. They believe that no matter what they ask, they're going to get what he believes is the honest truth. No frills, nothing, just here it is. And what I've learned, especially as a church leader, is if you're going to have an impact in anywhere, it is much better to be respected than liked. And we've become way too addicted to being liked anyway. Godly men are honest. Godly men work hard. I said this earlier. I mean, you're not going to make it overnight. You know, everybody wants the lottery ticket. Everybody wants to be Mark Zuckerberg. But that's not how it works. And I'll tell people that. I've had people, because I worked in Hollywood for several years, they'll go, I, you know, my kid wants to go to Hollywood. You know, what, who do they need to see? What do they need to do? They need to work hard. Yeah, but what, what, they need to work hard. You work hard. My brother Brian was very successful in the music business, and he worked hard. And you say, well, all he did was, you know, he ran here, he ran there, all this other kind of stuff. He was always at different parties, always at this, always at that. That's called networking in Hollywood. That's called getting to know everybody. That's how that works. 
you work hard. He became the head of Disney Music, was the head of Disney Music for decades. That's not an easy position to get in the music industry, but he worked hard. Success, typically, for most people, they work hard. And I hear this all the time. For some reason, people who don't even like or respect Andy Warhol will always quote him. Well, everybody gets their 15 minutes of fame. Heard one stand-up comic said, that's an average. That means zero for me, zero for you, zero for you, 30 years for David Letterman, zero for you. That's how that averages out. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. There's no substitute for hard work. One of the problems our society has, and I'm not saying we should flip it because I don't think we can do anything about it at this point, is one of the ways young men used to learn to work hard is they were expected every day they weren't in school to be where? Working with their father. When our country was primarily farms, guess what you did when you weren't in school? You worked. And you developed a work ethic. And we don't do that anymore. It's a shame. Real men love the Word of God. <clears throat> when uh, Megan and I were down in just about 30 minutes south of D.C. a couple weeks ago, and friends of ours, uh, Will Archer, was preaching, he said to his men about his sermon, and they were going through part of the Gospel of John, he said, men, this cannot be the deepest Bible study you have all week. You need more. Billy Graham got up every single morning and always, without fail, it didn't matter if he was in Russia, if he was in South America, if he was on a plane and he'd just been sleeping all night on a plane on a red eye, whenever he woke up, he always read the Psalms, the Proverbs, a few chapters, and a chapter from the Gospels every single morning without fail to the day he died. Now, that's not all he did. That's just how he started his mornings. And there's something we learned there. The truly great men in Christian history have known their Bibles backward and forward. John Wesley could quote, from an, could quote an entire gospel to you from the Greek They knew their Bible, and they lived it. Godly men are humble. They don't expect comfort. It's not all about them. And we learn to live with discomfort for the good of others if we have to. I was... Um, when I used to travel for a living, I was uh, in and out of, of about every airport on the East Coast. I once, when I couldn't sleep, I had insomnia one night, I tried to count how many airports I've been to in the United States. I quit at 55. Um, but I was in the Philadelphia airport this one night, and I was trying to get back to Columbus. Now, the flight from Philadelphia to Columbus is a quick 50-minute flight. Not a big deal. Typically not a big deal. But a line of thunderstorms with tornado watches started to work their way up between Nashville and Columbus. 
And so they were delaying and delaying and delaying and delaying. Now the problem was, the next day, I had to be home because it was my son's birthday. And I promised him I would be there for breakfast. Finally, I worked it out. I said, well, can I get to Pittsburgh? Oh, yeah, we can get you to Pittsburgh. Storm's not anywhere near Pittsburgh. Get me to Pittsburgh. I got to Pittsburgh. I rented a car, drove through the storm into Columbus, you know, grabbed a hotel, got up at 4 o'clock in the morning so I could be there when he woke up. But in between that, while I'm sitting there waiting to see if I can get on a flight, I look over and I see a very well-known Christian author. And I, I wanted to talk to him. He was sitting there by himself. There were hardly any spaces in a restaurant. If you've ever been in an airport, especially on like a Thursday or Friday, and there are storms all over the place, and flights are getting canceled left and right, the place is just stinking lousy with people. You can just barely move. I was hungry, and the only place I could find to eat was that place, and there he was. It was a fish place. I hate fish, but I wanted to talk to him, and I was hungry. If I served fish, I asked, first thing I ask is for salt, pepper, and Tabasco sauce. And it tastes like nothing but salt, pepper, and Tabasco sauce when I'm done with it. Just don't like fish. I sit down with him, and I said, look, and I said, can I sit here? He said, sure. And he's very nice. And I knew from his writings that he had interned at Mother Teresa's orphanage in India. He spent six weeks there. I said, tell me about that. And so he told me something, and he goes, and he kind of chuckled. I said, what? He said, um, all the interns called her Mother T. And she walked in one day barefoot. They'd never seen her barefoot. And Mother Teresa's feet were all twisted and gnarled up. And this young guy was wondering what, but he said, how do you come up to Mother Teresa and go, yo, what's with the feet? He said, so I didn't say anything, I just watched. And then she walked out of the room, and another one of the nuns said, um, you're wondering about her feet, aren't you? And he said, well, yeah, kind of. He said, in all the years she's been here, even after she won the Nobel Prize, whenever shoes come in that people donate shoes, she always lets everybody go first. She rarely ever gets shoes in her size they're usually too tight or too loose, and over the years, they've just twisted and mangled her feet. He said, but you'll never hear her complain about it. The world could use a lot more of that humility, could it not? And godly men need to lead it. Finally, godly men are good family members. They're good to their children. They spend time with their children. They're good to their wives. As I said earlier, they listen to their wives or else. And that means spending time. As somebody who, who does the job that he does and who studying at a PhD, my mind, I'm always living inside my head. There's always something going on there. I'm trying to figure something out. I'm trying to, well, what if I do this? What if I, what if I add, added this paragraph to my presentation? I may need to change that. Well, the professor said this, so maybe I need to, you know, I'm always doing something like that. And as a result, 
I wasn't focusing enough on my wife. And I'm very lucky. There are times I think she's luckier, but I'm wrong. I'm very lucky. But she is very caring and compassionate. She's, she's a great lady. But I need to learn to focus more on her and the problems that I've got to work out in class or at work or whatever. That'll wait till later. Make sense? And we all do it. We all bring our work home or we all bring problems with friends home or whatever. And I understand because I used to, back in the 90s when I was, I was dating this girl when I was living in D.C., and she rather wasn't even a hint. She handed me a book, some book Oprah loved. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, or vice versa, something like that. So I read this book while I'm on the subway. It made one good point. There was one good point in there I thought, yeah, that's, that's true. Now, I know that you can overgeneralize and overstereotype, but generally speaking, I'm telling you, this is true. Men, when they hear a problem, they want to fix it. They immediately want to fix it. This happened at work. Well, you should tell her this. She's like, I'm not done. Because women want to be heard. Now, I am not saying that either one of those are right or wrong. But what I'm saying is this, husbands and wives, men and women, men, listen until they're done. Women, they're going to want to fix it. Men, you need to listen. Women, you need to understand he's going to tell you how to fix it. He's being a man. You're being a woman. If we all just were heard all the time, nothing would get done. Sometimes things need to get fixed. But that's large differences between men and women, and it's okay. But men have to take the lead and listen first. And again, that listening thing is tough. It's just tough. Now, of course, being a good family member, being a good father, being a good husband, all that kind of stuff, it's not easy. But another thing Will Archer said when Megan and I were down there, he quoted a Jewish proverb, which you men should take to heart. It says, don't pray for a lighter burden, pray for broader shoulders. Jesus, of course, embodied all these traits, all of them perfectly. Didn't he listen to the woman at the well? Didn't he listen to everyone? Was he humble? Did he look to his own needs first? No. Was he brave? Absolutely. Violent? No. He was good to his mother, his brothers and sisters. 
and he's our king. I'll finish up this way. I was reading a story. It's a medieval legend. There's a king, had a servant. This king did not like to be disobeyed. And if he ever felt you did disobey him, he immediately threw you to his dogs, who were notorious for ripping people apart. This servant had worked for him for 10 years, but then on one particular day, the king said, I, that's not what I told you to do. And the servant believed it was, but he believed this. He said, you will go to the dogs. Now, the servant, being smart, asked the king for 10 days of service, and then he could make up his mind whether he still wanted to throw him to the dogs. The king said, yes, I will grant you 10 days for the 10 years you have given me. So the servant, being wise, spent 10 days feeding the dogs. Not bad. When the king saw this, he saw that as smart as he was, that the king himself was probably wrong, and he granted the servant his life and service back. The servant was loyal. The king was not. Our king was loyal. We have not been. We deserve to be thrown to the dogs. Instead, the true godly man threw himself on the cross for us. And if you're going to be a real man, you start by recognizing that and work harder and harder to be more loyal to your king. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and wisdom. We ask that your spirit will help us, your spirit, your word, our fellow Christians, to help us to cultivate these virtues, listening, humility, bravery, focus. Help us, dear Lord, because we're all wrestling with sin in our lives. We all too easily allow it to take us over. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for more of your spirit and committing ourselves to being godly men and women. And in the name of your son, the perfect man, we pray. Amen. Folks, I'm going to ask you for one favor. We are going to take, we have to take the chairs down for the blood drive. So if those of you who can help, we're going to stack the chairs about five high to the left and the right so we can make room for the storm ratchet blood drive, all right? And so we're going to do that. Until then, God bless you. What am I going to do on a Sunday afternoon without football? See you next time. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.